this is the end. It's the beginning, but it's the beginning of the end. Obviously, a time for reflection, and thank you, um, Simon and Mike and Sue, Paul, uh, and uh, Jane, uh, for your thoughts, your prayers, your words, and thank you to all who have uh, communicated your thoughts to me or to Karen. Uh, it's a time for reflection, uh, a very normal thing, I think, at this kind of transition to actually start to wonder uh, what kind of a legacy uh, you might leave. Now, this is probably not a unique thing uh, for pastors on occasions like this. I think all of us want to look back at the end of our lives and think that we had made a difference that ours was a life well lived, that we had left a legacy that will have an impact uh, from that time forward. The reality is, is that few of us will be remembered much beyond our passing. Uh, once those who knew us have also gone to glory, uh, we will be names, uh, maybe in genealogies and that kind of thing. Uh, a few of us might aspire to greatness, but sorry, average tells us not many, myself included. But can you leave a legacy that will last? And ultimately, who is the judge of that? Timothy, 2 Timothy is a book written uh, by a man, Paul, to his protege. And he is speaking of the legacy that he has left, but also the legacy that we as Christians uh, can leave. He has spoken of an unbroken chain under God as he has passed the faith down to Timothy and Timothy he tells to pass it on down to others. That was in the first century. We're now here in the 21st century. This chain has been going and we brothers and sisters are part of that legacy. I've been a teacher. Uh, I still will be a teacher and I see that my job has been to entrust this message to faithful men and women who can teach others in whatever capacity, in youth groups, in kids' church, in family, in informal conversations, in sharing the gospel with one another, in, for some of you, standing up and preaching the word to a congregation. We are called to be part of a legacy of disciples who then make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I've got four points for you this morning, and yes, they all start with C. Uh, that is there. We're going to look at this idea under calling, context, confidence, and crown. The calling. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, as we've worked through 2 Timothy over the last six weeks, there has been a common theme that like a, a theme through a symphony uh, has gone throughout the book of 2 Timothy. Paul, the Bible teacher, is speaking to Timothy, who he has raised up as the Bible teacher, the leader within God's church, and he has come back to the point again and again and again that true Christian leadership is through the preaching and the teaching of God's word. Why? Why is this the case? Well, because ultimately, Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. And his sheep need to hear his voice. Paul has stressed this and he's told Timothy that he is to present himself as a worker approved, one who does not need to be ashamed, 
but who correctly handles the word of truth. One who speaks these God-breathed scriptures. One who proclaims the gospel who is a, that is able to make us wise for salvation. So we've seen Paul tell Timothy to keep the pattern of sound teaching, to guard the good deposit back in chapter 1. The start of chapter 2, to entrust that teaching to reliable people who will then entrust it to others, that unbroken chain. 2 verse 8, he's told Timothy to remember Jesus Christ and in 2.14 to keep reminding God's people of these things. He tells Timothy in chapter 3 verse 14 to continue in what he has learnt. The word of God is critical for the life of God's people. And if you are going to lead in your family, if you are going to lead others informally, if you are going to lead in ministry, in kids' church, in youth ministry, in growth groups, in church, it is a ministry of the word. And you have to keep at it. Keep the pattern. Guard the deposit. Keep continuing in what you have learnt. Press on. Like Jane illustrated for us, it's not enough to just start. You don't win the, the prize, you don't win the crown for launching yourself off the blocks at the Olympics and say, well, I dived in. Coming to faith in Christ, signified through baptism, is just the start. We are called to press on and to get to the end. We need to finish. And we do this by his grace, in his strength. And so Paul tells Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and kingdom, I give you this charge. Do you feel the weight of those words? This is really, really serious. Paul charges Timothy before God. The king is returning and he will come bringing both judgment and salvation. Luke 19, a passage that we looked at, I think, earlier this year from memory, the parable of the miners. The king has gone away. He has left us, his servants, with a task to do. And he's going to come back and he's going to call us to account he is going to judge his people, not for salvation, but for reward by his grace. And oh, that we might hear that, that word, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into your master's kingdom. Share with me the rule as the king in the parable promises the servants who have been faithful. And for those of us who do lead, we need to hear this caution. Another passage that we've looked at this year, James chapter 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. It's funny, no one points this out before you go into ministry. Uh, before you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why? Because we speak the very words of God. That is the task 
that Paul gives Timothy, that we as leaders within God's people, that is the task we are called to give, to, to execute. As Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. When it's easy and when it's hard, when you see fruit and when you don't, he tells him to stick at it. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Stick at it. It's hard work. Verse 5. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. That is, preach the gospel and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul tells Timothy, he tells us, stay focused. Keep your head. Endure hardship. Press on when times are good. Press on when times are hard. Do your job. We play the long game. As we invest in the lives of one another, as we speak God's truth to one another, we do so as the Christian life spans decades. So our ministry spans decades. We play the long game. It's not for a moment. It's for a lifetime. And it's not an easy job. Remember Paul said last week to Timothy, he said, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And when are those last days? They started with Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and the gift of the Spirit, and they, they end at his return. We are in those last days. And he tells Timothy that these, marked, these last days will be marked by heresy and hardship. H's, again. He says, for the time will come, and for some reason I have lost my screen. Well, there we go. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. He tells Timothy to expect, as he had already seen, that there will be false teaching in the church. And why? Why would you want false teaching? Why would you want to listen to something that was not truth? Paul tells us that the desires are the key to suit their own desires. Now, I've covered this at length at other points, but just let me one more time. As people, we are driven by what we desire. It's not what we know, it's what we love that really matters. And our loves will shape our life like a compass. It latches on to north. Our loves latch on to what we see as true and beautiful and right. What has value, what has meaning, what has purpose. And Paul tells us that these people in the church... They have desires that are leading them away. They're often desires for good things. Things like approval, 
comfort, security, and power. These things are not wrong in and of themselves, but the question is, where can we find fulfillment? Do we look for those things to be fulfilled in God, in his person, in his work, in his promises? Or do we look to find them in other things? Where can we find fulfillment? And Paul tells us that sinful desire, it leads us away from what God intends, that we find them in him, and it offers us God's substitutes, what the Bible speaks of as idols. Sin takes our hearts and directs us away from God to idols. And we want our bad choices to be endorsed, don't we? And so we find teachers, false teachers, wolves that exploit the flock, that exploit us, that promise what we want, that promise us fulfillment in things other than God. It's funny. It's not funny. It's tragic, actually. But you listen to false teachers and it sounds just so good because the world sings this song this is where you find power security comfort affirmation and we hear that and then we see and we hear someone who's a christian teacher or calls themselves that who stands up who says you can have that and God wants to give you that, and he does. And it sounds so good. But instead of giving it to it in himself, instead of finding these things in him, they promise the things of the world. We need to be discerning. And this is why we need to preach the word. This is why we need to correct rebuke and admonish because the word of God calls us it reminds us constantly draws us back to the fact that our heart is made to find its rest in God a quote I've probably bored you with many many times Augustine you've made us for yourself O Lord and our heart is restless until it rests in you what is your attitude when you come to the word of God, do you expect a battle? Do you expect a spiritual battle? I can remember someone in a former church, they left. And as they left, they told me they didn't like what I'd been preaching because they came to church to be revved up, to be built up, to be excited. There's so many good things you could talk about, Cameron. Why do you take us to these other things? Why do you not just encourage, but also admonish? Why do you not just comfort when you can, why do you challenge when you can comfort? But the Bible does all of this. And we should expect there would be times that we come away from personally reading God's word, from sitting in a growth group and hearing others and ourselves reflect upon it, come away from a sermon and we feel profoundly rebuked and thankful for that because God may just have saved us 
from running off a cliff. He's warned us, don't go that way. That's a dead end. The things you're looking for, you will not find them there. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. It's a time of heresy and it's a time of hardship. We read, didn't we? Paul is in prison. He's in chains in chapter 2, verse 9. He's alone. Demas has deserted him. This man that if you read, it's interesting, you find Demas comes up in the end of the book of Colossians where Paul is praising him and so thankful for him, this co-worker. But here at the end, Demas doesn't finish the race. He's in love with the world and he turns away and heads off to Thessalonica. Paul has sent others on mission, Crescens, Titus, Tychicus, Erastus, and circumstances took others from him. Trophimus, sick. Paul is lonely. He's alone. Only Luke is with him. He's cold. Bring the cloak. Perhaps even he's bored. And the books and the parchments. Someone made the point, as I listened to a sermon on this during the week, here you have the Apostle Paul, the author of 13 books of the 66 books of Scripture. The Apostle to the Gentiles, the authorised uh, witness to the resurrection of Christ, and he still needs to study. So if Paul puts such an emphasis on spending time in God's word and in other helpful literature, perhaps we should too. Paul has been opposed by Alexander the coppersmith. We don't know exactly what Alexander did except for great harm. And Paul warns Timothy about him and he has been deserted. Hard times. Paul tells Timothy to endure hardship. As Christians, we know that we follow a crucified Lord. We shouldn't expect things to be easy. We shouldn't always expect that the world would love us. What was Jesus' words? If they hate you, bear in mind that they hated me first. Our context is one of heresy and hardship. Paul tells Timothy, tells us to preach the word in season and out of season. And Paul has confidence. He's not daunted. His situation hasn't led him to despair. You might, you might be excused for, for being a bit down at this point. Paul is in chains in Rome awaiting execution. He tells us in chapter 4, verse 17, although everyone had turned away from him and no one turned up to defend him at his first trial, he said this, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength as Jesus promised. Do not worry when you stand before synagogues, before rulers. In that day, my spirit will give you the words to speak. Paul testifies that that's exactly what happened. The Lord stood at his side, gave him strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles 
might hear it. You might remember back at the story uh, story of Paul's conversion. He's on the road to Damascus. He meets Jesus on the road. He is struck blind. And then he gets picked up and taken as a blind man into Damascus. And the Lord appears to a Christian believer there, Ananias, and says, by the way, Ananias, go down and meet Paul. And Ananias is a bit like, well, Paul's probably the guy I don't want to meet at this point. He's the one who's come to arrest us and take us back to Jerusalem. But the Spirit tells Ananias, this is Paul. This is Paul who will testify before kings to Christ. And you will tell him of this and you will tell him also how much he will suffer in his name, in Christ's name. And here Paul stands in the court of the Roman emperor and preaches Christ. As he preached before the Roman governor, as he preached before the king in Israel, as he bore to witness again and again and again. He is not daunted. He may be in chains, but the word of God is not in chains. Remember Jesus Christ, he says, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Paul is in chains. But God's word is not chained. What do we expect? Paul tells Timothy to preach in season and out of season. Sometimes it seems that we are out of season way more than we're in season. Do you ever feel that? Whether it's personally, whether it's as a church, what Paul is confident in is that God is not blocked by our circumstances. And I will testify that over decades as a Christian, I have seen God work in extraordinary ways in the hardest of circumstances. Let me tell you a story. Two churches ago, I'd been there, I think, about three weeks. My first funeral was the grandson of a couple at the church who had been shot in the head during a, mur- uh, uh, during a robbery. Not the easiest funeral. But what I saw God do in the lives of his grandparents, in the lives of the church, in the life of the lady who was put on trial for his murder and acquitted. The way I saw God work as the grandparents who had practically raised Billy reached out to express love and acceptance and forgiveness in Christ's name to the woman who held the gun and pulled the trigger. The way I saw that story told in the local press, the witness that that simple couple gave, they were not high flyers. They were people like you and me. But God used that incredibly. And I saw that. You may know circumstances. 
where God has done that in your life. But have confidence. We might feel that this is out of season. We might feel that we are chained as Paul is chained. But God's word is never chained. Whatever hardship we might face, the Lord is in it. He will rescue us from every evil attack and will bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. And the congregation said, Amen. Remember, there is no earthly situation that can jeopardize our hope. There is no sickness. There is no hardship. There is no unemployment. There is no loneliness. There is no depression and despair that can take us from the hand of our Saviour. Press on. Trust him. He has achieved it through the cross. Over the last little while, one of uh, the songs I keep coming back to, uh, both to try and encourage others, I think I've quoted it here before, but also an encouragement to myself is a song uh, through Sovereign Grace Ministries, a song called Christ Our Glory. This is the first verse. Our rest is in heaven. Our rest is not here. Then why should we tremble when trials draw near? Be still and remember the worst that can come, but shortens our journey and hastens us home. Paul has confidence. The Lord will rescue him from every evil attack and will bring him safely to his heavenly kingdom. That promise stands for us because it is perfectly fulfilled in Christ. And so Paul looks for the crown. He says this in verses 6 to 8. I am already being poured out like a drink offering. That's the offering that was offered over the top of the sacrifice. So you sort of feel that there's not much in the cup and it's being poured over the fire and the, and the animal that's being, uh, being offered. The time for my departure is near. You can see the bottom of the cup. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearance. Paul is coming to the end. He can see it. It's like coming to the end of the race and there's the finish line. Paul has a very clear sense that this is the end. Brothers and sisters, no matter how many years we have in front of us, that is the goal. Finish the race. Paul sat in Rome and he could see the end. We need to remember that we are called to press on. Not just to start, not just to be baptised, but to be buried in the faith if Christ does not return first. We need to remember that the proof of the validity of our start is the fact that we end. Unfortunately, many start, but not all finish. But Paul is here. He can see the end in sight. And he tells them, 
He tells Timothy and he tells us, this is not just for him. This victory crown, this laurel wreath, the, uh, if, if Paul was writing in the here and the now, he'd be talking about the gold medal. Didn't have gold medals back then. They had laurel wreaths that they would win at the end of the race. That is what's there for him, the crown of righteousness. And it's not only for him. It's for Timothy and for all who long for Christ's appearance. It's for you. It's for me. So press on and know that the crown of righteousness is ours, not because of our righteousness, but because of his righteousness. Not on the basis of our record, but his record. Because the fact that Christ went to the cross, he lived the perfect life that we should have lived, the one that we were made to live under God. He died the death that we should have died in our place, bearing our sin, to remove the barrier, to bring us home. So brothers and sisters, press on. Run the race. Fight the fight. Finish. The crown of righteousness awaits. Do this in the strength that is yours in Christ Jesus. The strength that comes to us through the Holy Spirit applying the victory of Christ over sin and death. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all.